The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Josh Emmett is a household name in New Zealand, famous for having worked and won Michelin stars with Gordon Ramsay over more than a decade in a few countries, before coming home to open a string of successful restaurants and find fame on MasterChef. You've maybe visited Madame Wu, or Hawker and Roll, or Rata, or Ostro, or read his cookbook of collected greatest hits called The Recipe, or seen his Insta videos with his sons helping as sous chefs in the home kitchen. This year, he took another couple of steps in business. All his other restaurants have been partnerships, but he decided to take over Waiheke Luxury Boutique Hotel and Restaurant The Oyster Inn and to open from scratch a new restaurant, Onslow, with his wife Helen. How has it been taking on a lot more solo risk in a year where restaurants have hardly been plain sailing and doubling down on a fine dining venture? To talk that journey, how he built to here and what he's doing next. Josh Emmett joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. How are you? Hey, good. Thank you so much for being here. Um, first up, should we go back to kind of the um, the beginning days? You famously worked with um, Gordon Ramsay. But how did you find yourself in those super premier kitchens in London? Well, I'd worked for a couple of years uh, in London early on in, in my early 20s. Uh, I, like most Kiwis, I went up to London and did my you know, OE, and I worked in some good kitchens then uh, and, and travelled quite a bit as well. I think out of I was there two years, um, I probably worked for 18 months and had six months off. Um, didn't re- renew my visa and then came back to Australia and worked for a friend of Gordon's called um, Donovan Cook, worked for, worked for him and his wife and... Uh, Melbourne and Australia for three years solid. I did. Uh, we worked six days a week. Um, you know, 80, 80, 90 hours a week. I um, learned an incredible amount. And then I wanted to get back to the UK. And when I went back to the UK, uh, you know, I said to Donovan, well, "Where should where should I work?" And he said, "You go go and work for Gordon." And and in fact, before I left the UK. Um, the guy that I was working with at that time as well had said, why don't you go and work for Gordon? And because I'd left my visa so late and almost let it run out, I didn't have time. I had to leave the country. Uh, and then, you know, I, I actually went back. I worked on super yachts for um, three months to get some money because uh, I was broke. I was a broke chef, as we all are at that, at that age. 
And uh, I went and started working for Gordon. I walked into his kitchen and I think I, I was 26 years old. Um, it had just been voted uh, worst place, one of the worst places to work in the UK. <laughs> uh, he had just been on a show called Britain's Worst Bosses. Uh, and I felt like I had come home, right? I walked into that kitchen and was going, oh, my God, this is me. What, what was it? about? Because I, I wondered, like... How much of that kind of TV persona is him putting it on for the cameras? And how much of it is the fact that he um, is a pretty fiery kind of uh, guy to work for uh, with really high expectations? He was, he's, you know, it's, it's very different now than it was back then. Back then he had one restaurant and, uh, you know, another one on the way and, and um, that was his sole focus. And, yeah, it was, he, he has a lot of energy. Um, he's, he's an absolute bundle of energy. So... Uh, and extremely passionate, extremely, um, he is very talented uh, in the kitchen. He's, he's very much an all-rounder. So going into that kitchen, it was full on. Uh, you know, there was, there was not a lot of downtime. Um, there was either a, a lot of laughter or a lot of tears and not much in between. <laughs> and um, you were with him for like more than a decade over a few restaurants and, and kind of big roles there. What do you think it was about kind of your style, um, which seems very kind of like calm and uh, measured, uh, and how that gelled with his style that seems somewhat different? I loved it. I, I loved restaurants. I love what we did. You know, we, we, uh, three or four months after I got there, um, you know, he got his third Michelin star at that, that restaurant. So, you know, it was the only it was the only three star in, in the UK at the time, I think, or, or in London at the time. Uh, so it was an inc- incredibly amazing restaurant and huge focus on the food, which I loved. You know, it was all about the food. We just walked in there every morning um, with a, with set tasks and such a focus on getting the food right and service and all that detail. Uh, and I, I, you know, I just loved it. And I actually like, um, you know, I don't know, I'm a farm boy from Nahanapuri, from the Waikato, and I quite like um, good, hard physical work. And that's pretty much what it was. You know, it was, it was, it, well, that was 90 plus sometimes hours a week. You know, we worked from six o'clock in the morning to one. Uh, straight through the day, um, four days a week. And then on Fridays, we worked six to about three in the morning because we cleaned the kitchen. And then we had Saturday, Sunday off, which was actually a real dream. I've never worked in a restaurant since that was closed Saturday, Sundays. So, you know, I loved everything about it. And and I had a, a huge amount of learning uh, early on. And then, and then, you know, I was probably a very good em- employee. I just got my head down and got on with it. I was extremely dedicated and committed uh, and you know what Gordon gave me was the, uh, the 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 platform on which to perform. You know he would say, "I'm opening a, a restaurant at the Savoy Grill. I want you to you know go and run it." And uh, that to me was you know at 28 years old was 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 perfect. I was up for the challenge. You know, and chefing and hospitality in general, but especially chefing in the fine dining restaurants. It's so hard. Like you mentioned there, the hours, the kind of 90-hour weeks, uh, but also kind of um, the the amount of dedication that you're expected to do, the hard physical labour, the hot kitchen, the stress that you're under, um, the the amount that's riding it on on it all. And so many of the staff, you you know, traditionally have been paid so little uh, to, to, to work the hardest and least kind of desirable hours. But that sense of kind of camaraderie and um and and kind of the the fun of actually getting through a shift seems to make it 
okay in a way. Oh, totally. I mean, I back in those days, I couldn't care less about money back in those days, really, as long as I had enough to pay the rent. And, and um, you know, thankfully, I didn't have mum, my parents, my mother and father, who were sort of saying, well, what are you doing working those hours and getting paid what you, you should be asking for more or asking for this or that? You know, it was all about knowledge. It was about knowledge and experience uh, and learning and you know, I, I, I loved the long hours. As I said, I was, I, was, I felt like I was in the right place. And, and if you had asked me back then, you know, uh, does, it, does all that bother you? I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm doing 90 hours a week. Everyone else is doing 40. I'm learning twice as much as them. I'm doing twice the work. I'm, I'm, I'm in a happy place, right? I'm, I'm going to get done in one year what that takes them to get done in four. Uh, so, you know, I was trying to expedite that whole process, I suppose, and, and get myself in a really good position. Uh, as as quick as I could. And it's kind of like running a small business as a 28-year-old opening up a restaurant like something inside such an august institution as the Savoy Grill and that you're planning the the menus and making sure all of the, the food arrives and you've got perishable goods and you've got a team that you've got to run and, you know, super high expectations on output. What's it like kind of taking on that level of responsibility uh, at that age? Uh, I, I, I loved it. I don't think I, 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 I suppose I didn't overthink it. I just got in, I had a task to do uh, and, you know, you sort of just get on a straight path and, and, and that's what we've got to achieve and this is what we've got to achieve on a daily basis. I suppose the one thing we're never really taught is how to manage people and, and not a lot of chefs are, which is often why we are not the best managers of people, you know, although we have massive teams to manage at a very young age. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the Savoy was a fantastic opportunity for me and um, taking over an old institution like that, it had been there 117 years, I think, at that point. And, you know, we, we got a table plan um, from the, I think it was the 40s and 50s, and it's like John Wayne sat on table four and, and Jackie Onassis and, and <laughs> Kennedy sat on this table and on it went. I mean, there was literally every single table was, uh, it was you know, Winston Churchill's table was table 24. And even then, uh, even in, in those, it was 2006, I think, we had, you know, such a list of well-known people who sat at specific tables. It was unbelievable. It was like a canteen for Parliament. That's literally what they called it. So we looked after uh, what the Savoy Grill was and tried to uh, take a little bit of that history uh, and make it better. We didn't try and turn it into something it wasn't, which I think was the most important lesson um, for me about, uh, you know, taking on an establishment like that. When you mentioned before the Michelin stars, uh, I think a lot of people in New Zealand would have heard of them. But, like, give us a bit of colour about, like, just how central to life in that kind of top restaurant world those stars were, especially kind of, you know, 15, 20 years ago as, you know, are, are they as relevant now and what kind of stuff do they mean to a restaurant? They were everything uh, and, and they're still as important now as they, as they were then. Uh, you know, the Michelin Guide started out as a, you know, it's a Michelin tyres, it, it was a travel guide uh, and, you know, for people driving uh, and they, you know, uh, it began in France um, a long, long time ago and it was about... You know, you would go to a destination, you would get one, two or three stars based on whether it was worthy of a special destination or just, you know, if you're passing by, definitely go and eat there. And it, it's turned into the most respected guide in the world. And chefs, uh, uh, you know, 
that's a three stars is a gold medal you know it's 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 three gold medals it's 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 what every restaurant tries to achieve and and you know um if you get three stars the the bookings go through the roof and you know like anything so it's it's very relevant um they you know michelin has expanded over the years originally they were uh, mostly through europe they've gone into japan into america and and you know i suppose like any business had to um diversify and, and do more they couldn't just sit on their sit on their hands and 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 uh you know uh, think that they just operated out of Europe although they haven't made it to Australia and New Zealand yet so but hopefully one day they will and it's kind of like the the best possible expression of what a, a restaurant or a place is trying to do is what they they kind of hold it to the standards of whatever you're trying to do so in some places now you know there's uh a noodle cart with a Michelin kind of hat or, or something. Uh, well, you know, it's a very different series of expectations for a hole-in-the-wall noodle joint versus a um, fine dining restaurant. Totally. And I think, I, to be honest, I think they've moved quite well with the times in respect of that because I've always been in, in a, a really big fan of that you don't get three stars for having white tablecloths and, and um, Baccarat crystal glassware and the finest toilet paper, you know, um, which which is, is all relevant to running a business. But you, do, you, you, you get, you should be rewarded on, on being best in class and doing what you're doing, doing it extremely well. And whether that's a, you know, it's a Hainanese chicken rice shop or a, um, you know, a, a more fine dining restaurant, or something that's casual in the middle. If you're exceptional at what you do and you take care of your product, and it and 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 it all makes sense, you should be rewarded for it. And having been part of like the quite big growth journey of Gordon Ramsay, both in terms of um, his profile and and celebrity, and also the business expanding um, and and looking after those doors, what was it that brought you back to? New Zealand after 11 odd years working with them? Well, it was 11 years and it was slowly, um, I suppose it was slowly, We I knew it wasn't going to last forever and, uh, you know, I was hoping that when I did go it was going to end reasonably um, happily, prettily, um, but... Uh, you know, after eleven years, we we had spent time. We'd I'd been in UK eight years. I'd been in New York four years. Uh, you know, we went down to do a project in Australia. Uh, I got offered to do MasterChef, which you know Gordon had always encouraged me to. You know, obviously do TV because he had he had he is you know TV personified really, isn't he? Uh, and uh, I took that opportunity, and it meant that I was doing the show in New Zealand. Uh, we had two young kids in Australia. Australia. I wanted to move back to the UK. So did my wife Helen. Um, and this this was a very complex little area of my life where you know my father was dying of cancer. Um, everything we owned and, and belonged was uh, all our belongings were. I think at that time they were in LA in a container somewhere uh, on the way back from New York, which were heading to the UK. Yet. Dad was sick in New Zealand, so we were sort of heading back to New Zealand, but we were living in Australia, and we had just had our second child. It was carnage, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and Helen and I were about to get married. Uh, so everything was going on. We had moved house so many different times. Uh, so we, we moved back to the UK for 18 months, and then we... Um, you know, which we really enjoyed, but I was doing more and more work in New Zealand. And over that time, I sort of spent half the time in the UK and half the time in New Zealand with with with, with uh, Helen, with the two young kids. Is 
it's, it's not a, not a, not an easy life. So we decided, you know, Helen said, you know what, I, I, I will move to New Zealand, and and uh, away we went, and we've been here ever since, and 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 extremely happy that we made the choice to come back to New Zealand. Yeah, wow, because it must be hard to be raising two little kids as a chef if you are putting in those hours. Because if you've ever worked in a kitchen, uh, the chef's the first person there in the morning. They're the person there making sure that the orders are going to arrive and that the every, everything's kind of checked off last thing at night. It's a, it's a big commitment, isn't it? Oh, totally. Even if, funnily enough, someone said to me last night, when, are we gonna, when am I going to get one of my senior guys said, when am I going to get my key fob? And I said, when you start coming in earlier than I do. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, which will hopefully happen soon. But um, <laughs> <laughs> If you're listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. It, you know, and, and the kids, uh, you know, we get them involved and we, we try and, have that get them to share that journey with us and get them involved in the restaurants and they do understand them they've got a very good understanding of what the business is like they're now you know nine and eleven and um but when they were young like that i mean we've always had au pairs uh you know uh live with us and, and help manage that side of things um for the last 10 years actually uh, so that because it just works for our lifestyle and if i'm traveling you know helen's not home by herself and that sort of thing mm. so that's that's but then as I said that's 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 catering that's hospitality right yeah and what was it like um what was it like doing MasterChef and coming back to a country that you hadn't really lived in and not only had you not really lived in it and you're just getting back to be used to it but you're suddenly famous in it <laughs> Yeah, what we're that, on on, like? on TV um, a few nights a week, and uh, you know, I I took on that role because I, you know, I I worked very hard over the years a bit in, in the restaurant of actually taking ownership of the restaurants, and I think going back to the Gordon thing, that is something I I did. You know, when I when I went and ran New York and and ran that for four years as restaurants out there, um, you know, he wasn't he wasn't there all the time. He was there, you know, a few times a year and that sort of thing. And I took complete ownership. I was out there. I was in a dining room. I was talking to guests. You know, um, I people came to see me. Uh, you know, as much as they came to eat Gordon's food or my food or you know all that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, you know, um, you you. I think as a restaurateur, you need to be quite well rounded, and you need to be able to talk to people, and you need to be able to go out there and sort of express yourself to the guests. Because those days of chefs hiding in their kitchens and and being grumpy and throwing around pots and pans <laughs> and and, uh, 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 and and not wanting to be people not wanting to see them are long gone. You know, they sort of want to talk to the chef. They want to talk about how they, you know, how, how, how was the meat cooked and where did you get this, you know, where did the fish come from and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, and I, I always saw just t- television was perhaps an extension of that, um, you know, trying to get um, better at that if, you know, uh, the opportunity to stand up and present and, 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 and um, work hard at trying to be good at that part of a job. Mm. Um, and it's great for business, you know. Uh, it's quite commercialised, you know. Obviously, you get, you know, um, you do. Sometimes it felt like you did twenty years of hard work grind in the kitchen, and then you become known as Joshua MasterChef rather than the the twenty <laughs> years of um, sort of slave labour we went through to get to where you, where you are, right? Um, but that's but the, you know, I really enjoyed the whole process. And in a big place like New York or London, you know, even being very well known in your industry, you, you could still probably be pretty anonymous a bit of the time, I imagine. But in New Zealand, to kind of come back home and then be, um, you know, up, up in the up in the lights. Personally, what was what was that like for you? 
Well, I might, I might, I might. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really good with it actually because I like, um, you know, I always loved talking to people. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite quiet. My wife talks. You know, I do ten percent of the talking. She does ninety. But when we're both in the room, but. Um, you know, I do like getting out, and, and, and as I say, in our business, and part of it is talking to people. You meet a huge amount of people. There's so many a volume of people that pour through the restaurant, so it's really important that you're engaging. Uh, and but it just sort of means that when you walk out the door in the morning um, onto the street, you sort of have to switch on, you know. And you, also, of course, you go through some awkward moments with that, and people are saying, "Oh, hey, Josh," and you don't know whether you've met them or haven't met them, or or you know that. And you have to you learn what I suppose you learn ways of working through that um, yeah. and asking the right questions uh, to get to the bottom of it without um, <laughs> raising any suspicion. Um, and and just but you, you you know in our business I think you need to be. Um, uh, you know, they're all our customers. Everyone's a, everyone's a potential customer, so it's 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 um, important to be pleasant and warm and switched on. And kind of you know, it can't be sort of grumpy wandering around the um, supermarket, sort of yeah. you know, um, learn how ignoring to the, people. Learn how to tell the kids off quietly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're at the supermarket, yeah. Uh-huh. And then into into the, the the restaurants here. So tell me about the partnership that led to. Um, Tarata and then Madame Wu and, and Hawker and Roll. Yeah, well, I came down to New Zealand uh, when I was still living in New York to do a, a dinner at Amersfield, um, which was, um, you know, in, in, in Queenstown. That was run by um, my business partner, which was Fleur Colton, my soon-to-be business partner. So Fleur and I, uh, she's she's uh, been in Queenstown pretty much her whole life. And, uh, you know, I really liked Queenstown. So her and I um, decided we would do Rata together. Uh, and that was while we were still in that phase of living living overseas and living between here and uh, London and we opened Rata and, and, and that went extremely well and it's um, you know it's it's still rocking along today um, eight and a half years on and, and um, a year and a half into that sort of business relationship we decided to do uh, Madame Wu which we opened Madame Wu in Queenstown and then opened uh, three or four more Madame Woos, and then we did an offshoot of that, which is a more fast casual, which is Hawker and Roll. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, you know, I a lot of people actually thought that I have always lived in Queenstown, but I've you know I've I've lived in Auckland. Once we moved firmly back to New Zealand, I've lived in Auckland for the last. Uh, what uh, eight more more than eight year, eight or nine years now, and and I've been going up and down to Queenstown uh, twice a month for for eight and a half years. Um, it, it, I mean, it sounds like it's probably a lot of fun the first couple of times, but after a while, that would be work in a very big way. A lot of work, and I, I you know I always went there to work. Really, I had some I, you know I've done some incredible things down in Queenstown. I've had some nice times where I've actually taken weeks off and actually relaxed down there but I always find it hard to relax when I'm around my businesses and they're busy and and, and that sort of thing but um, you know I, I have my, I've, I've had my set routine for years you know I sit on the same seat on the plane on the way down on the way back I have the same routine and that makes life very easy um, but it, I love Queenstown that's it was it's been a brilliant part of my life but I'm you know I've, I've sort of passed the baton on to the team there and to Fleur and and she's firmly taken over that that business which is uh you know nine and nine or ten restaurants um you know I'm still a, a shareholder and uh but just not operationally involved and I've got a great head chef and a great um restaurant manager who the restaurant manager's been there since day one you know she's been there eight and a half years Claire she's amazing so yeah 
Yeah. And then also people would know you as being involved with Ostro over the years as well. What's involved in kind of being a um, consulting chef and, and being like the, the, the person in charge of the food and the um, – the, the, the kitchen. Yeah, well, I, I really enjoyed Ostro. Ostro came about um, from uh, through my parents, actually, funnily enough. My um, father worked uh, with um, Lucy and Law's father in, in Hamilton, and they say it made the introduction. And I sat down with Lucy, and who's an incredibly um, creative guy um, and top man, you know. And I, I, I didn't I had no expectations when I, when I met him. Um, the sort of parents set up at the meeting, and, you know, when those <laughs> meetings get set, up you're sort of like oh god here we go um and I went in and met Lucy and and um I remember coming home to Helen and so and, and, and she says how was it and I said it was really good but I um I'm not sure I have a clue what he was talking about because he talk he's so he talks so creatively he goes sideways on lots and he's got brilliant ideas and all that sort of thing and I said but I, I think it's fantastic and so away we went and uh, you know um, I was I, I guess my title was food director of Austro and I. Um, you know, um, put a huge amount of effort into that business for for you know, what seven and a half years, yeah, and 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 only stepped down earlier on um, this year and 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 left it to them. But I, uh, working with Lucien was was brilliant. Um, as I said, uh, you know, um, very creative, very different way of thinking, um, and you know, him and I got on extremely well, which is great. And you've stepped out of those roles where you were involved, you know, quite quite heavily in both of the the, the restaurant chain and and, and Ostro, yep. in order to um, to run your own businesses. Tell me tell me about what the changes and um and and what's involved in going from uh, partnership into being uh, you and Helen, your wife, running them. Well, I suppose it's just that you're you know you you end up being solely responsible, which is sort of the place you want to be in the, at the end of the day. And and we. Um, you know, uh, I think we made a decision a few. We've always been, I've always been looking for, you know, sites in Auckland. I'm always sniffing around looking for various sites and trying to find that perfect thing. And, um, you know, Helen and I um, decided to go along that path a while ago and we've just been working towards it. And we uh, signed on the site for uh, Onslow, which is, you know, opens uh, in two days' time. Um, you're very, so we're you're very um, calm. we're in, we're, no, I'm not that calm actually. In the, uh, we're in the uh, I think Helen was up at four thirty this morning, and we went to bed at one o'clock last night. And uh, you know, because we just left the restaurant, and you know, we're in that startup phase, which is which is full on. Um, but but it's great. Uh, and on, Onslow was eighteen months ago. We we signed on that, and and you know then uh, the COVID hit and delays hit and that sort of thing. And in the meantime, uh, which was late last year, um, you know the end of two thousand and nineteen, the oyster inn sort of dropped into our laps, and and we decided to take that on as well. Uh, we initially sort of said no and it went away for a few months and then it came back to us. Uh, and, and when it came back to us the second time, we said, you know what, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So we took that over on um, February you know, 2020 and uh, ran it for five weeks at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a really fast pace. You know, it was extremely busy five weeks and then um, into lockdown, you know, <laughs> into seven weeks of... Uh, Closure. So it's been a hell of a hell of a year, and a completely disrupted trading environment. Even after closures have have ended, like um, and yeah, what's it like having signed on to do Onslow, which I imagine must have been kind of 
the most exciting and and scary thing to to establish a fine dining or you know a very top, top top flight restaurant in a place um, where there hadn't been a restaurant before and 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 all the rest of it, and then have the world just kind of fall out from underneath you. Yeah, it sure th- throws its complexities into it, doesn't it? But um, you know, we're we're sort of just onwards and upwards. We're pretty positive about we 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 believe in what we're doing. Uh, you know, the the space where Onslow is, um, you know, was actually origin originally a hotel was which was built there in uh 1890 um so it's got it's actually got a building's got an incredible history and everybody knows where it is whether they've you know i think it was kpmg for a while it was fontera for a long time um and and beside the northern club yeah uh, up up on princess street so everyone pretty much knows that building uh and it's it's had as said it's had a great history so we're really excited about what we're doing in there but and and yeah, opening opening in two days' time, and uh, away we go. What's the idea there? What what are you doing differently there, or that you wanted to do now that you can do? You know, completely be in control of what you're up to. Well, it's very very me. I think it's very uh, it's it's sort of. Um, I'm going back a little bit to what I did in the UK and what I loved about, you know, restaurants in the UK. And I, I do love a bit of old school. I love things that are classic. I love things that are timeless. I love a bit of, you know, something that's a, got a little bit of sophistication, although it has to be, you know, warm and fun and full of energy. You know, I, I don't like stuffy, uh, you know, restaurants at all. In fact, I'd run a mile from them. I, I, I go out to have a good time, uh, regardless of whether I'm eating sort of fine dining or, or super relaxed you know uh, and the food needs to be, you know, exceptional all around provenance, uh, quite simplistic. Um, we've, got a, we've got an amazing salmon trolley. I love a bit of theatre, so we carve salmon at the table in front of you, um, which is something I did years ago in, in the UK and just absolutely love. I love, um, I love warm service. I love attentive service. I love the, the idea that you, you know, that cheers idea that you, everybody knows your name, that you walk in, you're recognised, and you can come back um, time and time again. Uh, and get what you want uh, and get pampered a little bit. I think with the, uh, you know, the whole um, uh, movement of instant gratification and I want things instantly and, and, and everything like that, we're almost going in the opposite direction to that where I, people want that. But they also want to be made to be feel special, mm-hmm. and they also want to be they want to be looked after, and they do want to be pampered, and they do want experiences even more mm-hmm. uh, than before, um, and and that's where we're going with it. Kia ora, this is Toby Manhai. Please forgive my interrupting this podcast, which is a very good podcast indeed. I just wanted to alert you to the existence of another podcast, a politics podcast called Gone by Lunchtime. Join me, Annabel Lee Mather, Ben Thomas, Merv, the bad boys of Brexit, in a paddock full of baby yaks every week in the lead-up to the election for a recap of all the biggest, best and most ridiculous developments from the campaign trail. Subscribe now wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Cool. Um, So in in terms of those experiences, does that mean it's more like uh, is it is it shared plates? Is it you kind of eat eat what you order? Is it what's the oh, yeah, uh, what's the kind can, of vibe? You can do you, what you like. You can definitely share, but you no, it's it's an a la carte menu. Yeah, so yeah, start yeah. a main course dessert, great, uh, great. old school, just yeah. the way I like it. And you know, there's a few little treats that we do in the start that you can share and that sort of thing. And I don't know, but whenever we, my wife and I have a um, Helen and I have a main course, and a, you know, we always end up switching halfway through and 
you know, that sort of thing and sharing wines. So we're doing lots of wines by the glass because we always, you know, we straight away will have you have up, we have that glass choose a couple of glasses of wine and then we both drink and then switch them and drink and we're like, yeah, we got it right. No, we got it wrong. We, You know, it's about that experience, going and trying things and tasting things and, you know, having fun and enjoyment. And what's it like partnering with Helen on these projects? Helen's been, uh, you know, the the, the rock in, um, behind me in, 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 in so many ways for such a long time. You know, I ask for her advice on uh, most things I do, almost everything I do, especially in terms of food and wine. And, and she's uh, hugely passionate about food and restaurants. Um, she's got a great palate and great taste. Uh, so if I'm creating the dish, I'm like, taste this. And she's bloody honest, unfortunately, as well. So she'll be like, uh, no, you need to sort that out. Or this is great. Or, oh, my God that's amazing and and you know uh, reassures me that I'm on the right track uh so we we've we've worked together for a long long time um she's she's great at writing sort of content and helping me with that uh side of things and, and so we we've we've been collaborating on on this as a partnership for the last 10 years anyway um working together obviously day to day is is you know creates its challenges and um but we, you know it's it's i think we it's what we're always made to do yeah, and people, if they have been following your Instagram with uh, um, the cooking at home and the cooking with your sons and the the like, kind of um, recipes you were doing, teaching people how to do things like cook rice, which you know not everyone knows. Uh, that was you and Helen together, wasn't it? Totally, and we we um, just decided to you know we were sort of faffing around a little bit with social media and, and Instagram, and we decided to just start you know recording. People always ask us, "What do you eat at home?" You know, that's the first, thing. and 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 then it, that's that age-old question for everybody what am I going to have for dinner tonight and I think it's an issue for people they just um, you know seven days a week what am I going to cook for the kids what am I going to you know cook for myself and the family um, it's 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 the daily daily life chore or problem um, so we we shoot what we eat and we put it out there on social media and we do it in a simplistic format so it's literally me you know I'm cooking and she's filming and we and I think it's extremely easy to follow um, we generally we always have music on in the house anyway so there's always some music blaring in the background and uh, because I'm just plotting it's not such a setup I think people find it very relatable they go okay well I use that bowl and I put it on like this and it's very and we put a few little instructions mm-hmm. and I'm not too much talking um, you know, because I think talking um, confuses things. So they read the instructions, they listen to music, and they watch what I'm doing, and away they go. And 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 I, it's I think it's been you know people have it's yeah, been can, super very popular. very helpful. Yeah, is, kinds, is what I hear, which is the whole point. Yeah, and all kinds of people posting their recipes of look what I cooked. You know, yeah, well exactly, and you know, and the supermarkets running out of certain things because we've put out a karagi chicken and yeah. said to use potato uh, starch, and it's like. We can't get potato starch. Supermarkets are all sold out and run out, and uh, it's yeah, it's a hard case. Oh, that's so cool. Um, looking looking at like on the subject of recipes, you you published that um, cookbook, the recipe, uh, with um, recipes from big big names and some of their favourite things. How was that as a project? That was a probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, it was extra. Right, uh, that's my third book, and. Uh, 
The first two, you know, I did I did a meat based book called Cut, uh, which which was is a is a beautiful book, and that was shot shot by uh, Kieran Scott, who's you know um, an amazing photographer, um, and he also did my second book, which was a barbecue book, and then the recipe was uh, about collaborating with chefs and doing an international cookbook, and and you know we live down in New Zealand, and and one thing about living in New Zealand, you do want to get out of New Zealand every now and then and go and travel or, or re-engage in the world. And, and that was part of that process. It was a, a huge amount of those chefs in that book who, uh, you know, um, contributed uh, that I have met and know along the way um, and, and love their what they do and how they do it uh, and, and their approach to food. So it was about going out there, gathering a you know, um, 300 of the greatest recipes of the last 50 years, call it, and uh, put them in one book. Uh, and, you know, we've got recipe collaborations from, you know, Gordon, Nobu, Martha Stewart, uh, Nigel Slater. And, and, you know, there's 150 incredible chefs who um, were very generous and donated their recipes. Um, and I cook them, shot them, Karen shot them in, in my house at home uh, and, then, and then put them in the book. What a great project. Amazing project, but, um, you know, difficult. <laughs> I had my table laid out at one point with sort of 150 different recipes, and I I, I think we shot 340 in the end, and, and just trying to navigate my way through that was, um, you know, and, and I'm, I, you know, when it, if I cook something myself, I don't really need a recipe. I make it up in my head and go along and fire things in. I know ratios and that sort of thing, but I actually had to read everyone's recipes and make sure I was doing them 100% to a T. So uh, it was definitely, um, but, you know, we I think we got an incredible result because of it, and it's all about the food, and, and, and 80% of the recipes in there are extremely um, simplistic, and then there's probably 20% that are challenging. So it's it's a very good, uh, a, a very good sort of, Bible style um, book that people can reference, uh, you know, perfect for someone who's 18 and leaving home and, and um, needs a few good good recipes up their sleeve, which we all do at that age, right? Yeah, and anyone wanting to expand their repertoire, which um, totally. <laughs> is totally useful. If you're, if you're into food, you should work your way through that book. Mm. Uh, as simple as that. In terms of just a kind of business question about um, restaurants, I, I worked in... Um, in uh, restaurants through uni and stuff and um and loved them but always kind of wondered how they worked as an actual business and that everything in there is like perishable stealable breakable (laughs) (laughs) you can't forecast exactly what's going to come in and what's going to sell um you know there's so many things that that are kind of like hard about it and when it works it's a kind of magic Mm. um but yeah like you see a lot of restaurants that don't get the magic quite right and you you know like um what what, what's the kind of recipe for a restaurant that that works and overcomes all of the kind of structural challenges of of um of food service yeah it's a difficult one funnily enough i think the thing that's most predictable is what people will eat uh you know once you put a menu out and 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 you'll generally sell the same ratios of uh, things most of the time so you know you're going to sell you know um, 30 30 portions of beef and 15 portions of duck and you know maybe 12 portions of hard and it'll hit that you know um, ratios quite 
mean, then every now and then you have an unusual night where you might sell more than one or, or, or other. Uh, but the so that's reasonably controllable. Uh, it's the it is the, it's the produce. It's the you know wine's consistent generally. Um, you know, as a product or, or, or beverages, getting them in, and you know, it's a, again, it's about controlling them, make sure they're not wandering out the back door. Uh, and food is extremely inconsistent. Uh, it's it's seasonal. It, it, it fluctuates. It goes up and down. It um, you know sizes change. It's mm-hmm. not uniform. And it's to be honest, it's not made to be uniform. I think if you if you're looking for uniform shapes and sizes, then it, then then the food products have been um, you know manicured a little bit and and and. and uh, you know, ugly food is good. You know, ugly tomatoes are, are bloody delicious. Uh, so, you know, how do you? My my in my in my twenties and thirties, you know, um, it was always a case of well, how do you control it? You're just there all the time. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. You 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 go in and you're you're watching and you you know, or you're training the people around you to be there all the time. Um, and it does come down to your team, right? It comes down to all the people around you to make sure they've got the same shared vision and that they're taking the same care and detail on everything we do. You know, they have to, when the produce comes, you know, flowing in the in, in, in the back door in the morning, that they take the same care and attention, even more care and attention than if they're wandering around the local market, picking their, um, you know, t- tomatoes to cook for their for their mother that evening or their or their best friend that they would choose something that was fantastic and if it wasn't right they would send it back sort of thing um, so you have to take extreme care on the produce and really look after it uh, and yeah it, it all comes down to have a brilliant team because you can't you know you figure out early on that maybe you can sort of try and grind it out and control it but you, you it's not about you it's about everyone else around you and making it work that way and as a final thought with um you know, having had real success in, you know, Michelin uh, star at the top of the kind of restaurant world internationally and open restaurants in New York and at places like the Savoy and run things here, like with, with a new restaurant to open in, in two days, um, what, what will success be for you? Like what, what would you like to um, what would you like to get to? Well, I think it's, you know, life is a, it's a journey, right? And you you. You just sort of, I, I love restaurants. I love the creativity of it. Uh, and success, I, you know, success is enjoying what you do in, in many ways. Success is having some balance in life. Success is often the simple things, right? And the simple pleasures in life. Uh, rather than overcomplicating it or, or or monetizing it or anything like that, success has been happy with what you're what you're doing in life and that you're enjoying yourself uh, and you're having a little bit of fun along the way. Um, you know, 2020, uh, you will all remember 2020 and success this year is probably about getting through, you know, it's about not putting too much pressure on yourself and thinking that I've got to achieve, um, you know, massive goals when, you know, perhaps this year breaking even is actually okay. And that's, in fact, it's not okay. It's a, it's a, it's a bloody good achievement. Um, you know, uh, especially if you're in hospitality, which has been pretty hard. So, you know, long term, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm super excited about the restaurant industry because we've been showing this year that uh, when people come out of these lockdowns that they are fired up. I mean, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they, they can't wait to engage and socialise and, and restaurants are the, are, the, are, the, are the main hub for that, you know. So um, we will return to life as normal and, and, and the future is bright. Um, so, yeah, excited. 
Ah, that's so cool. Well, yeah, it's pretty unlikely that after millennia of meeting to eat in public together, we're suddenly going to completely stop, isn't it? It's not going to happen. You can <laughs> people want to go out, socialize, eat, and drink. You pull that. That is the fabric of society. You pull that out from underneath people, and it's 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 not it's not good, and it's not healthy. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming and spending so much time with us in such a busy week. Uh, thank you for being here today. That's Josh Emmett. Great to chat. Thank you. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing. And thank you very much for having us along uh, in your ears. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.